0: Welcome to Shofar Town South Sermon Podcast. We trust that today's message will edify and strengthen your faith. Thanks Ed. Thanks Ben for leading us into the presence of the Lord. It's always a privilege to be able to get together and worship God. For those of you that don't know me, I don't usually have a frog in my throat. My name is Johan. I'm not the pastor here. I've been in this church for about eight years. As you would have seen, Rayner is in America, and um, as Dylan, the guy in the video, will still learn, um, you can't get out of a frame if Rainos not finished with you. <laughs> you just gotta make sure that you answer all the questions. he need you to answer. So yeah, so been here eight years. Husband to one wife. She's in the parent room upstairs, and father to two. Uh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed young boys, and they are somewhere. One is upstairs at least, I know. So today we're going to speak about generosity, stewardship. Um, I've entitled The Message, The Treasure Principle, and the scripture reading for this morning is Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. By the way, there's no PowerPoint presentation, so it's proper old school, so uh, if you want to take notes, go analog, and um, yeah. Hope you hope you engage with the Word and the Spirit. So Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So Jesus had plenty to say about money and possessions. About 15% of everything that he said was about money and possessions more than what he had to say about heaven and hell combined, which is interesting. And we wonder why he spent so much time talking about this concept and about these issues. In Luke 3, we see, we get a bit of a clue as to why Jesus spoke about money so often. So in Luke 3, it speaks about John the Baptist who was busy preaching repentance to the people. And three sets of people came to him asking him, How do we bear the fruit of repentance? So you probably don't get a more spiritual question than that. How do we bear the fruit of repentance? And then in Luke 3, he says, John the Baptist, to these three people, three groups of people, he had three answers. To the first group, he says, share your food and your clothes. So share your money and possessions. To the second group, to the tax collectors, he says, do not collect more than you're authorized to collect. And to the soldiers, the third group, he says, do not extort money from the people and be content with your wages. So three very spiritual questions, or one very spiritual question, asked by three groups of people, and he gives a very materialistic answer. And I think the reason for it being that our way in which we treat and handle our money and possessions is not peripheral to our spiritual walk. It's at the very epicenter of our spiritual walk. So the way in which we treat Our money and our possessions is not just the gauge, but the actual heart of where we are spiritually with with the Lord. And it might sound a bit hectic, bear with me and let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning as we go through this treasure principle. So, most of you would know, at least intellectually, that the stuff you have won't last, right? So, everything you have now in this world will either leave you during the course of your lifetime... Or you will leave it at the end of your lifetime. You've never seen a hearse bullet trailer, a fenter wine key, because you can't take anything with you, right? So we know this, but yet it's so difficult for us to actually live this. And we think Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures in heaven. But he actually, or treasures anyway, but he's actually pro-storing up treasures. He is the best best investment manager ever. And he is wanting us Store up treasures, but not in this world where moth and rust will lead to its decay, but in heaven. So it's crazy to think that we can send money on, we can send possessions, we can send earthly things on ahead of us, but yet we can't keep it. So it's you can you can't keep it, but you can send it forward. You can send it on ahead of you. So if we look at two groups of people in this world, you get one group of people who hoard and want to keep as much as possible for themselves and each and every day they get more anxious because each and every day they're moving one step further away from their stuff because they're moving one step closer to their death then you get another group of people who actually send on ahead treasures to lay up treasures in heaven and each and every single day they get more excited because they one step and one day closer to being reunited with their treasures but not temporal treasures, but eternal treasures. So everything belongs to God. We've, we've also heard this many times over. Psalms 24 verse 1, the earth and all its fullness belongs to God. Job 41 verse 11 says that anything and everything under heaven belongs to God. So we know this. Yet, once again, many times we treat everything we have as our own and ourselves as owners of this. And when in actual fact, we've just been called to be... God's money manager. So we've been called to be a steward, to be his money manager. A good story in this um, regard was about John Wesley. Many of you might know John Wesley, theologian, evangelist, one of the first Methodist leaders. He was touring the countryside on horseback, and at home, his house burned down. And one of his friends or an acquaintance searched for him far afield um, to tell him about this news. And when he eventually got hold of him, he said, Mr. Wesley... Your house is burned down. You need to come and attend to it. And what he had to say was that it's not my house that burned down. It's God's house that burned down. And if it has burned down, then it's one less earthly thing for me to worry about. So that's quite insightful. So we should always look for the best place to invest God's money. We have access, unrestricted access, to his bank account, which is a ma- massive responsibility. If you look at Matthew 13, verse 44, it says the following, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. So this is someone that found, imagine yourself walking around in a field, and you find a massive treasure. You find more treasure, more money than you could have ever dreamed of or hoped for. What do you do? You go and you sell everything you have, buy this farm so you can lay claim to this treasure. So there's an immediate joy in the present, but there's a sacrifice as well in the present in order to obtain this future joy and reward. So for us as Christians, knowing that what Jesus has done on the cross, knowing that what he's done is a finished work, it's a perfect work, that he's coming back. Surely for us it should be the most logical thing to do that, when we found this treasure, which is Jesus, first and foremost, foremost, our treasure is Jesus, when we find him, why is it so difficult for us? Why do we think it's radical to give everything away, whether it's time, possessions, money, our lives, in order to gain this pearl of great prize? Think about it this way. You've got all the currencies in the world, and in South Africa we use the ZAR, and one of the most volatile ones. Say, for example, all the global leaders next week come and together and they say, from next week onwards, from next Monday onwards, we're only going to use the Swiss franc. Every single other currency will be abolished by the end of next week and by that following Monday, everyone and anyone will only trade and deal in Swiss francs. Would it be radical to take all your possessions, liquidate it, get ZAR and all the cash in your bank account and go and buy Swiss francs with it before next week Monday. It wouldn't be too radical. It would be pretty logical for you to go and take as much cash and rands as you can to go and exchange it for Swiss francs before the rand becomes worthless and just keep enough rands in order to get you through next week, go to the grocery stores, buy two items at Willys or maybe 20 if we can pay but bottom line, <laughs> keep just enough cash to get to next week, Monday. It's not radical. It, we, think, we think it's radical. And if someone asks you to do this, and you ask yourself to do this, we, we kind of feel this is radical, but it shouldn't be. Nothing is wrong with earthly money. We just need to understand that it has limitations. There's also nothing wrong with looking after your family. And 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, if you don't look after your family and look after their material needs then you're wicked. So it's not about not looking after your family, your loved ones but it's about knowing that earthly money has limitations. See we've got access to the best investment advice ever. Investment advisors and investment managers, they've got a 20 or 30 year horizon. We've got access to Jesus, he's got an eternal investment horizon. And we've got access to, I mean, The most amazing insider trading tip ever, being that this world will come to an end, that there's a second coming, and that whatever we have here, all the stuff we have here, will at some stage become worthless, either to ourselves when we die, or when it breaks, or just in general, at the second coming. So, what will we do with that insider trading tip? And it's a legal one as well, made by God who's not a man that he should lie. So, surely, it should be the most natural, unradical thing for us as Christians to do. To exchange earthly possessions, to forget about storing them up unnecessarily, and to send them ahead of us to lay up treasure in heaven. So Jesus commands us actually to do what's in our best interest. Because what is to His glory is in our best interest. It's always in our best interest. But it's to his glory is always in our best interest, which is something to think about. Um, I'm still chewing on that one. So I'm not going to delve into it, but what is the treasure in heaven that Jesus speaks of? It's power, Luke 19, verse 15 to 19, if you want to go and look. Possessions, eternal ones, Matthew 19, verse 21. Pleasure, Psalm 16, verse 11. And then I also just want to mention one thing that I forgot to mention earlier. This investment manager, Jesus, is saying that we're going to get a hundredfold return. Matthew 19, verse 29. If you look at some of the biggest venture capital firms in America, what they do when they invest is they've got a portfolio view. They say they'll invest in a hundred companies and put in X amount of dollars. And all they want is for one of the hundred companies to become a unicorn. A unicorn is a company with a billion dollar valuation. And for that company to return... About ten times what they've invested in all of the companies in their portfolio. So they've invested in 100 companies. They want one company to give them 10x that amount, and that is amazing. That doesn't happen often. It does happen now and again, but it, it is not a. It's not a foolproof strategy. It's highly risky um, and fraught with a lot of challenges. We've got Jesus saying, "Yeah, not you might, you will get a hundredfold return." And once again, it won't just be in the form of possessions. It's, it's a myriad of things. Um, and obviously being able to spend eternity with them in relationship being the first and foremost treasure. So a person, Jesus, is our first treasure. A place, heaven, is our second treasure. And then eternal rewards and possessions is our third treasure. So the question that I'm asking myself is, what person am I living for now? What place am I living for now? And what possessions and rewards am I living for now? Eternal ones or temporal ones? To get back to the fact that we, we cannot take anything with us when we die, um, there's an anecdotal story about John D. Rockefeller. So he was one of the most uh, wealthiest individuals that has that's ever lived. And when he died, a reporter went to his accountant and asked him, how much money exactly did Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? And his accountant quipped all of it. So that's the thing. Once again, just laying that point, betting it down, that we can't take anything with us. But why is it so difficult for us to do this? So I've touched on why it's so difficult. I think we've established the fact that it's logical for us to do this. It's not radical for us to be generous people. But why is it difficult? Because money has an ability to exercise power over us. So if you look at... Matthew 6, verse 22 to 23. Let's go back there. It says, The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light in you is darkness. And if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. So if your eye is not working, you cannot see If your eye is working, it will take in light around you, and by the light you'll be able to see and you'll be able to move the rest of your body around this room. But if your eye is not working, then your whole body is in darkness, even though there's light all around you. So it's not clear why in this whole passage Jesus speaking about money, why all of a sudden he's talking about the eye and the eye being the lamp of the body. It becomes clearer when you go to Luke 11 and 12, where he speaks again about the eye being the lamp to the body and he ends off in Luke 12 saying be aware of greed so it comes down to him warning us against materialism materialism is an inordinate desire for possessions and things and the peculiar power of materialism is that it blinds you spiritually materialism has the power to blind you to materialism it blinds us to greed and if you think about it Greed is an I-sin. We're absolutely sure most of the time that it doesn't apply to us. If you're committing adultery, you know you're committing adultery. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to wonder about it. If you're in a sin of greed, we tend to not know about it. We tend to deny it. Tim Keller once said that in all the years of people coming to him, uh, confessing their sins, no one has ever come that he can remember, saying they want to confess their sin of greed. So greed greed hides in a way that a sin like adultery doesn't. Materialism keeps you from asking the hard questions about your life, about your possessions. So you only need to know one person richer than you and or one person greedier than you to think that you're fine. That's why Jesus spent so much time speaking about money and possessions. And why he spoke about the eye being the lamp to the body. Because we have to be careful because if we can be caught unawares very easily when it comes to the sin of greed. In 1635, there was a gentleman, a pastor called Robert Kane. He was the pastor of the First Congregational Church in Boston. And at the time, his elders disciplined and admonished him in 1635 because he was also an excellent businessman and he was taking a 6% profit at the time. Now, the reason why they admonished him is that Collectively, they decided earlier on that the profit margin for a Christian should be 4%. Nothing more, Christian businessmen. So the moral of the story here, or the point of it is not to talk about what's the percentage profit that you need to take or not take as a Christian. It's about, because in today's world, it's going to be very difficult for you to bear down one figure. I think it's, it's between you and God, and that's why it's so great. It's relational, it's not transactional. You've got a relationship with God. You can go ask Him exactly what you and your business can charge and what you as an employee should earn and what's a fair wage. But to get to the point of the story, these people understood that it's very easy for oneself to become deceived. So as a group, they decided that it is safer for us to, as a group, decide an a profit margin for any businessman in our congregation, and they came to 4%. And this bastard did good business, and he made a 6% profit. And I'm sure he was still preaching. I'm sure he was still living with the Lord. hadn't forsaken him. But in a way, he stepped out of line because he wasn't accountable, and he wasn't true to the decision that he made to the group. So the question here is, who do you have that you're accountable to? Who have you given authority to speak into your balance sheet and into your income statement? to ask you about your giving activities, to ask you about your hoarding activities. Because you won't, you will not see greed yourself. You will not see yourself stepping over the line because that's the power of greed. The power of greed is not to ask, it's not to think, and it's to say, not me, I am 10 times better than the guy next to me, so I'm fine. So why does money have this power over us? So we say that it can have power, but why? Two things. Firstly, some people find significance in money. So by money, you can buy a certain lifestyle. When you buy a certain lifestyle, you can achieve a certain status in society. And that is a sense of belonging that it gives you. It's a sense of power. Um, And when you look at people, it's so easy for all of us. When you look at someone poorer than you, socially, socioeconomically, socioeconomically poorer, you immediately... Automatically, kind of your default reaction is I'm better than this person. So yeah, you're richer than this person, but are you better than this person? But the human nature is to automatically, if you find money to be a source of significance for you, then the automatic reaction, when you see anyone poorer than you, is going to be to, to think that I'm not just socioeconomically better off, I'm just better off, I'm a better person, and you're below me, not economically, but you're just below me. So that's the danger of... Having money as your source of significance. Secondly, why does money have so much power over us? Because it's a form of security. It's a way to control an uncontrollable world. It's a way to feel safe. But the actual reality here is that no amount of money can keep you safe. No amount of money can help you control the, the variables out there. And no amount of money can add one minute to your life. So how do we break that, that power of, of money? How do we get to a place that we really radically generous, where we can go and exchange our our earthly rants for heavenly Swiss francs. How do we get to that place? It's by returning to our first treasure. And our first treasure, as I said earlier, is Jesus. Everybody treasures something. So deep in the most inmost being, you're treasuring something. And whatever you treasure is that thing that you say, if I get that, it'll all be worth it. If I get that, I'm worth it. It might be money, career, status, romance, etc. So, almost like the Lord of the Rings, that ring, my precious. In your innermost being, you've got a little my precious, and it might be a big one. But every single my precious outside of Jesus will ask you to lay down your life for it. Jesus comes and he says, I have laid down my life for you. So he had everything. He had ultimate significance, ultimate status. status. said, like an American, it must be Raina's, um influence all the way from Ohio. Um, and Jesus had ultimate security. So all the things that we think money can buy for us, security, status, Jesus had it. Then he was stripped of it completely. But he died for something. And you only die for that which is your precious. So with Jesus dying for us... We can know that we are his precious. Like in the Lord of the Rings, we are that that ring. And in Isaiah 53, it speaks prophetically about the fact that Jesus see, sees the reward uh, and the result of his suffering and that he's satisfied with it. Which is amazing. We need to know this. It's only when we when we know this, when we know that we are Jesus' precious. And when we are Knowing that we are his treasure and when he's our first treasure, that we'll be free from money and we'll be free from anything. So, how do you know that you have spiritual wealth? There's a it's a quick and easy back of a matchbox type exercise that you can do. And uh, that is by the way you react to wealthy people. So if you see a wealthy person and you resent that person, then all of a sudden you're feeling superior to that person and money still has power over you and you are still a little bit far away from gaining spiritual wealth. At least, hopefully, you're on the road, but you're not there yet. And then, secondly, if you see a wealthy person and you envy them and you start idolizing them, then what happens? You feel inferior to that person. Once again, money has power over you and you have not yet attained a state of spiritual wealth. So the Gospel says that We are more of a sinner than we ever dared believe and we're more loved than we ever dared hope. So if you're in the gospel, if you've put the gospel and Jesus at your center, in that epicenter, instead of any other ring or earthly possession, but you've got your precious being Jesus and the gospel, then knowing that you are more loved will not make you feel inferior When you meet a rich person, and knowing that you're more of a sinner than you think you are, you will not feel superior when you interact with a rich person. So that is how we can move to a place where money doesn't have power over us. The gospel and Jesus must be first and foremost, with Jesus being our primary treasure. So, another quick and dirty test, litmus test you can do. The end result of all of this, if you've attained spiritual wealth, is that you'll be able to love rich people. You'll be able to love them unabashedly. You'll be able to respect and learn from poor people. And you'll be radically generous. So if if you're walking in spiritual wealth, you won't be influenced. You won't feel inferior or superior to rich people. You'll be able to meet a poor person and understand that, yes, economically, they're poorer off than you. But spiritually, intellectually, etc., they might be way better off than you, and you can learn from them, and you will respect them regardless. See, in Matthew 6, verse 22, when it speaks about the eye being good and healthy, it's got a double meaning. So the other meaning, Greek meaning, is generous. So we need to have generous eyes. We need to look for ways in which to give away. So how much do we need to give away? So when Jesus treasured us, he treasured us sacrificially, right? Right? And we, need, we know that we need to live out the cross of Jesus in our lives. But it also means that we need to live out the cross of Jesus in our economic lives. So we need to give enough money away in order to experience sacrifice in our economic life. And we're going to inevitably sacrifice a portion of our own lifestyle. So many people speak about the tithe as being the standard, and that's all fine and well. But if you're tithing your 10%, and it doesn't impact your your lifestyle at all, then you need to think and ask yourself, am I radically generous? Am I actually sacrificing my standard of living? Am I sacrificing economically my life for God? Because every single realm of my life needs to bear the cross, and in every single realm of my life, I am going to experience, inevitably, sacrifice for the greater joy and eternal rewards that are on their way. So the question is: Is there a cross in our economic lives? The question I ask myself as well, and we all have to ask each other. And with greed being a sin of the eye, you have to find a few people that will ask you that question every now and again. Because a week from now we won't ask that question. This afternoon we won't be asking the question to ourselves. But if Jesus is your joy and treasure, you'll give away happily. You'll give away radically. So it's a principle of the third gratification. The joy, however, is instant. You would see in Matthew 13, verse 44, that traveler was instantly filled with a sense of joy. So let's give instead of keep. Let's invest in the eternal versus the temporal. And let's store up treasure in a place where we can receive eternal dividends, not just temporal dividends. We have an, an eternal investment horizon, as I said earlier. The money God gives us is eternal investment capital. And every single rand, every single bit of capital in the world has an agenda. You do not get capital without an agenda. So you have an agenda with your capital. Capital coming to you in whichever form by way of a salary, by way of a dividend, as an agenda. So let's as Christians make sure and ensure that the agenda of our capital is Christ. That with whatever we do with our capital, we advance Christ, we personify Christ, and we let it point towards Christ. Because Revelation... Is also positional. Many times we wait in the stand and we say, when I feel like I'm going to be a cheerful giver, I'm going to start giving. But revelation is positional. So if you're in the stand, waiting to be filled with joy to give, you're going to wait a very long time. You have to be on the playing field, you have to start giving, and then the joy will come. So the joy is instantaneous, but you first need to give. You're not going to get the joy and receive it from the stands. So the question is, the final question that I want to leave you with is, Will we live lives being rich towards ourselves, or will we live lives being rich towards God? Jim Elliott, he was um, 29 years old when he was murdered in South America for the sake of the gospel. um, There's a famous quote of him that says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And let us be the people of whom that is said, even economically speaking. Cool. let's pray. Thank you Lord that we know that we are your money managers Father God we are your steward Father that you are the owner of everything the cattle on a thousand hills. Thank you Father God that Lord that we know that you are in control of our lives Lord Father we don't need to come to you Lord Father or we don't need to come to money Father as a source of significance and a source of security but we can come to you Jesus as our source of security our source of significance, Father God. Thank you, Lord, that you have promised us eternal rewards, Father God. Thank you, Father God, that even though we can't store up wealth in this life for us, Lord Father, we can't take anything with us, Lord Father, we can send treasure on ahead, Father, accumulating eternal rewards and possessions, Father God. But thank you, Lord, that we can also prioritize you, Jesus, that you enable us by your Holy Spirit to seek after you as our first and foremost treasure, Jesus. To live for you, to live for a place called heaven, and to live for eternal and not temporal rewards, Lord Father. Thank you, Lord, that you enable us, Father, to be unradical with our money, Father, knowing that if we're unradically giving everything away, we're actually being extremely logical and reasonable, Father God. And it's actually radical to hold on to it, Father, knowing what we know and what you've revealed to us, Father God, as Christians, Lord Father. So help us, Lord Father, to, to live a life of generosity, Father God, where be promiscuous with our finances, Father God, where we we give, Father God, and share our food and clothes, Father God, where we give to a place where we experience the cross in our economic lives as well, where we need to surrender a portion of our lifestyle, Father God, knowing that nothing less will will match, Father God, nothing less will will meet the need, Father, because when you gave to us, you gave sacrificially, Father, you didn't stop at at 10% or a number, Father, you stopped with your life, and you gave your blood to purchase our eternal freedom and eternal life, Lord Father. We thank you, Lord Father, that we can journey alongside you in this, that we're not alone, Father God. I pray that you'll identify to us, Lord, the people that we need to include in our inner circle, to whom we need to be accountable, Father God, with our income statements, our balance sheets, Father God. Help us, Lord, to be open to their questioning, our handling of money, Father God, knowing that greed is a sin of the eye, that we ourselves will not be able to understand and see and realize when we're entering that realm of greed, Father God, help us, Lord Father, to to be accountable, Lord, and to seek accountability in this realm, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thanks, John.